Hello, everybody. I'm Dave. And I'm Megan. Megan's joining us here in the broadcast foxhole to make a podcast about the greatest game in the world. Advanced Squad Leader. See, she even she knows the name. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Yuletide, Megan. Indeed. Merry Christmas. Almost. Happy Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. Are we missing anything? The rest. And Happy New Year. Jeff couldn't be here tonight. Well, he kind of could, but I just had a lot of segments I want to put together and get done. So Jeff gave us permission to make a show right here. So without any further ado, Meg, shall we just jump into letters? Sure can. All right. Our first letter here comes from our friend Jason. Jason says, gentlemen, first things first, sugar tanks. I'm a longtime listener of the two half squads, but I've never really written in, mostly because I've had limited exposure to ASL. I've only messed around a bit with Beyond Valor, however, very much interested in Yanks. Over the years, I've enjoyed your show very much. I typically listen via podcast while walking over my lunch hour. I appreciate your lighthearted approach to gaming. Thank you for not taking yourselves too seriously. I'm much more of... I'm much more on the side of gaming that enjoys the process, atmosphere, and story that comes out of playing the game, and less about winning and losing. We agree. Mm-hmm. I am actually a huge fan of your original material, especially the song parodies. Oh, oh. Megan loves to sing those. I do love those. And Dennis Donovan, of course, helps us a lot. <laughs> yes, thanks, Dennis. Uh, please let no one discourage you from continuing your efforts and putting those together. Thank you for the opportunity to put my name in for the Yanks contest. Keep up the good work. And Jason, Jason, we're sorry you didn't win the Yanks contest, but um, thanks for writing in and letting us know what's up. Next up, I have a letter from Mr. Kolinsky. He says, I love your podcast still and haven't even been playing ASL for many months. A couple of random ideas. Idea one. The yearly cost of dollar an episode to Patreon commitment is $24 per Jeff, which is, I think, for a year, he means two episodes a month. The new TV I bought a few days ago has an energy cost of $22 a year. Comparable. He says we should mention that to our listeners. There you go, folks. Get into Patreon. Get us some some cash to keep us going. And idea two, an ASL D2HS TV channel is a great idea. Might have time to lapse live game coverage. Either way, you guys should definitely have cheerleaders with pom-poms and everything. Give me an A. Give me an S. Give me an L. When I was in Chicago for a business trip in 1984, I think, the Cubs were in the playoffs, and it seemed like many of the bars had cheerleaders at the time, so it seems appropriate. Or was I delusional? Best regards to both you and your families from Mark. Thank you, Mark. If I could cheer, I would, uh... <laughs> offer up my services for the cheerleading. But uh And it was the Cubs in the playoffs, I believe, in eighty four. Although I'm more of a Bears fan. Mm-hmm. Boy just lost to the Giants today. Yeah. Rough loss. But fun. You didn't see the end. They, they nope. tied it up with like two seconds left. Oh. Went into overtime. Alright. Our next let letter uh comes from Wolfram. He says, been listening enthusiastically since episode one. You guys have kept my interest in ASL over the past years when fellow players were few and far between. Just initiated a new player who used to play SL back in the day. Trying to build my library back up since I lost it in 2003. Thanks and stay happy and healthy. 
Thank you, Wolfram. Mm-hmm. It's another new listener. We're reading a lot of these because they're people who went in for the contest, but also uh, had not written us before. I have a letter from Stelios Pissaroli. Hi, guys. ASL newbie here. Just graduated from ASLSK. Okay, I admit when it comes to the game, I set myself fairly minimum standards, which most of the times I fail to meet. But who cares? <laughs> anyway, loved it. Got myself a copy of the full rules to munch on while waiting for Beyond Valor reprint to hit Europe. Where is he writing from? Greece, you think? That's a Greek last name, Megan? Maybe. Love the show and the banter. Oh, the ASL talk is fine, too. Usually <laughs> save it for the dreadful Monday morning traffic. Makes my it a tiny bit more bearable. Really excited about the Yanks contest, too. No worries about shipping all the way to Greece, though. You were right. My track record in contests is abysmal. However, in the off chance I do win, I'd be more than happy to chip in. Yes, we're sorry, Stelios, but thanks for entering and thanks for letting us know you're listening. Just Or just Jeff and I are amazed that we have these listeners around the world that we did not even know we had. So can't say thank you enough to you. All right, and this next letter is from Greg, and he says, I have an idea. How about a raffle away instead of a giveaway contest? Price of admission is a cup of coffee. Anyways, a man of action, I just donated uh, $3.64. That's uh, 3.64 sugar tanks in ASL currency. I have no idea what that means. Because she doesn't know about our contest. <laughs> I don't know anything. Or what sugar tanks is. <laughs> you didn't know it's a breakfast cereal, Meg? No. You didn't eat it as a child? <laughs> no. What kind of depraved parents did you have? <laughs> the worst. Um, but he says he uh, donated that via the donate button. And we can't thank you enough, Greg. Mm-hmm. And thanks for, again, checking in with us and for entering the contest. and But mostly for that donation. So, again, the show is brought to you by... Kind donations. And sugar tank cereal. People like <laughs> him. And also Greg K. Very, very generous donation from you, sir. We are incredibly honored, Greg. And I think he sent also a letter here. Yes, he did. Uh, just saying he's entering the contest. And again, um, thank you for that and letting us know you're out there. And then... Uh, Jack Dempsey says, Happy and safe Thanksgiving to Jeff and Dave and all ASLers. Another great episode. I like the mix of banter, review, and con interviews. Nice combination. Thank you, Jack. It's just a... And again, happy holidays to everyone. It's nice to have Megan here, too. Good to be here. Help me out. And a real quick thanks to um, Ken K and... Lee M for their very generous donations for the Again, on, on Patreon and uh, mm-hmm. may sound like everyone's signing up for Patreon and donating, but we do lose people too. We just don't announce it when they have to drop <laughs> for various reasons mm-hmm. or the quality of the show has not met their standards and they need to drop. But uh, that's very rarely ever happens. Uh, but thank you again for those kind donations. And I guess that'll wrap up Letters with Megan. First up, I'd like to play a little uh, recording uh, from played Skiing in Lapland, uh, an advanced squad leader scenario by uh, Multi-Man Publishing uh, from Hakapale. 
Hey Dave, this was a great idea to get out of the house for a change and come to this cool nightclub. This is really amazing, Jeffrey, except I am blinded by the disco ball. Well, as soon as your eyes get back and adjust to the light, look at those girls over there. Oh, I can see them now. Look at them, Jeffrey. Maybe they would go out with us. Do you think they would? They would never go out with us. What do we have to offer them? Maybe we could offer them some Bounding Fire Productions products. Oh, why, of course. Bounding Fire produces only the best thoroughly play-tested, action-packed scenarios mm-hmm. and campaigns. Mm-hmm. They're committed to customer service. That's right. How could anybody possibly resist something from Bounding Fire Productions? They could not. We could give them our lines, you know, our pickup lines, like, um... Hey, girls, you want to go into the rubble? Oh, that's a good one, Dave. Or how about if I said, Hey, ladies, let's go to the high ground. Oh, that would work every time. We can put the Operation Cobra into work here now to help us achieve our objective, Schmidt, with these lovely ladies. (laughs) That's so good. That's really good, Dave. Good thinking. Maybe they would want to see our crucible of steel. Oh, especially mine. I think so. And by the end of the night, Poland would be in flames. Oh, it's going to be a hot one tonight, Jeffrey. Let's go over there and talk to them. I'm so excited. Come on, follow me. Okay, go ahead. Hey, ladies. Uh, Do you want to go maybe not just to the beach, but beyond the beachhead? Ow! Well, hello, everyone. Dave Timmon here, over here. Hello. And me. And Skiing in Lapland, ASL Scenario 166. We are, are we confused, Dave? We're a little baffled, I think. My <laughs> setup was bad. Um, but it's hard to tell that when you're first setting up. Dave played the fin. You got the two boards. We got the overlays on. Um, so as a defender, the fin is faced with many challenges. Yeah, and I think um, on these boards, I had set up just initially... Um, only a couple of squads because I didn't want to. I, I felt like I'd be wasting some of my squads if I put too many at once because one board is eventually abandoned. But I think the turnout of this massacre here against the Finns, me, turns out. I, I think you have to. From the beginning, I think you have to give up the fact that you you're, you won't be able to save any of these squads. I think you got to put them on to be able to defend. The board that you have, yeah, I was very surprised at how quickly Dave got across the board. Everyone's got skis. Deal is, the Finn can hold reinforcements. Problem is, they don't come on till the turn after he places them on the edge. So Dave set up on board four with what a squad around V two. Right, just just, just one squad. And that was it. That was it. Yeah. So he forgot I could set up on X. He thought I was entering off the further edge. Right. So we, so we, my we, mistake, but yes. So then my tank set up the middle W5-V5 in platoon movement. I think I have to use platoon movement. I didn't double-check the rules, but I did anyway. Hit is a T-mine, cleverly placed in T5 right between the two woods, of course. You know, So that's a good board to try and cut off tanks with AT mines. So is that other one there, Dave, 19. You can right. put it here in 07. What is that? D- oh, you probably have it. Yeah, there. I actually put it on um, T8 and T5. Where's that? Um where is that? Oh, here. In here. Yeah, two sides of the woods. So pretty clever, right. although I can get around that one in the orchard on T. So better placements 03 and 07. Right. But the tank 
have looks like better terrain over here on four. So anyway, the I got two bogs in the snow. My one small vehicle came on nineteen. It, it immobilized on the first startup point. Maybe I could have set up in motion. Double check your rules. But then the ski troops could fly by Dave's defenses. So I think the fin has to set up two thin lines, one on each board, which, again, you were hesitant to do because... Because I didn't want to feel like they were going to be wasted. Uh, But I I fastly realized that when you're scooting across that board, there's nothing stopping them. And uh, I, I think you have to, as the fins, you have to give up at least half of what you are given. And the Russian right does, too. Yeah. Because it says once each board is a separate playing area, play is simultaneous and line of sight movement and other interactions are not applicable between the boards. Once a Russian ski detachment unit enters one board, play is discontinued on the other. So the ski troops enter at the far end and have to meet far west the end, rest right. of the Russians. Right. A, two squads of each type the ski detachment and then the rifle regiment link up in two separate hexes so you need four squads to connect and meet up that's kind of cool idea yeah but i don't know i don't feel like playing it again do you no i think i'm done (laughs) um maybe we're underestimating the fun of this one we play tested it i'm sure we recommended it as fun then right um, Maybe we, we set up better then. We don't remember it at all. It was years and years and years ago. But you won with the. I won with the Russians and lost with the Russians. So, yep. The skis are quick. So the Russians, my ski troops, got all the way from X to O nine on the first turn. Right. That's what surprised me there. Double too, right? time. I didn't even check. Skis. It's deep snow. Doesn't count against skis. With a leader. And yeah, that's. A lot of movement and then advance. And when I didn't have anything there to stop it, that's where I kind of panicked. Yeah, I think the Russian might be able to advance up onto the hill hex and then take advantage of another two movement as he skis down the hill All right. to go meet up with the ski detachment. Dave did have a squad in E5, and that was the only thing left to stop the ski detachment from linking up with a big gold stack in 09 of Russians. That would have been the game. So we calculated the game might already be lost unless the one little squad in E5 could break three of the ski detachment troops. And that isn't happening, right? Right, it can't. One, two, three, four, five, six. Well, if they spread out, it might happen. One, two, three, four, five, six. They can move double time and then advance to g7 that'd be one squad you'd shoot at and then you can't do a subsequent shot and everyone will go around it right or you let it go by and then it, next turn you prep it in g7 so maybe that squad would have done more than we thought but we let dave add troops onto both boards anyway it turns uh, out. to make it a more of a fun game which <laughs> on board 19 he had the Two dummy sets up front, hoping to force me onto four, which was working until these reinforcements came on, Dave, that right. we let you put on. I know. Then I went back over there and didn't know they were dummies. So there was no defense. I got into the woods, this big giant overlay, 32 woods X's, with all the ski detachment. He had one squad and a leader around K7. K7, right. Building. And a couple coming on, but the, it was 
they couldn't come in and do anything at that point. He had to cross yeah. open ground. So the Russian then moved up my second turn. All these Russian troops on 19, which was the group of nine infantry in one vehicle, yeah, come up, and they're already on turn two with skis up around J4. So I really think the, the, the Finns need to be on on the board completely. Completely? I think it's completely. And then you just give up wherever the you know your infantry decides to come in on. I think you have to put it on there. Don't do the reinforcements. Because it's too thing. late. By the time you decide to come back on again, it's too late. You can't give them out there enough. Yeah, unless your thin line has broken enough of the ski troop. I think the goal is to break the ski detachment four squads. Right. Rather than try and fight the other two groups. True, yeah. Could be. That yeah. might be advisable at all costs. And because you break just two of them, then you're down to just two more. Right. And I wonder if there's games where people have routed the ski troops off the board entirely, um, ending the game that way. So maybe it's more fun than we're thinking. Maybe our brains are just tired. Right. I, yeah. And, <laughs> and I guess the thing is, you know, historically it's not like they just decided not to fight anymore on one board and they, they decided to fight on another one. I mean, I think... Well, I think historically they're trying to do this link-up, and there were two different attacks going on that were not connected. But it's not like they just stopped. No, it just doesn't matter I know, but the game just stopped, so it's kind of... So maybe is it not worth all the effort to do the second board and have it end on turn two? Perhaps. Maybe so. Yeah. We got all this cool stuff with these bog tanks on board four, and suddenly we're not playing board four at all anymore. Right, so... So we play-tested (laughs) it. I'm sure we said it was fun. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking all the variety, and it's different. It's different, I'll give you that. Um, Very different. Will we play it again? Uh, there might be other scenarios that we see more inviting. Yeah, we'll, than this we'll one. push on. We only have about three left, and then we've replayed all of Hakapale uh, since we had play tested it. Yeah. And we have our own leader counters. And we're just darn happy about that. That's right. Lieutenant Timonen, he didn't get a chance to do anything, but he, he was out there. And Kleinen. So, anyway, that's our take on skiing in Lapland. ASL scenario 166. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks to Dave Timonen for joining us there and analyzing that scenario. It was very unique, and I don't think we knew how to handle it. So, some listeners, I'm sure you know better than we do. Why don't you uh, chime in? And let us know what your thoughts are. Put a post to comment on the website. Next up, we have a little interview with, uh, let's go to the, um, well, let's do the, um, I think this is a scenario analysis also from an ASL day I had with the Passel with uh, Jeff Vital, Doug Greaves talking about their game. Maybe Bob Holmstrom is in here. Um, I forget who all is in, but we'll, we'll play that for you now. Hey everybody, I had a, a very nice Saturday. I had uh, a lot of guys over here, thanks to um, Jim Burris and Jeff Vitale for coming from St. Louis. Bob Holmstrom came out tonight to play Jeff. They played Highland Frank 015, and the jingling is uh, Jim and Mark Woods behind us. But uh, you guys want to give us a little rundown of what you thought of the scenario? It was amazing. <laughs> Maybe the best scenario I've ever played. Bob won. It was it was a dog. 
So, <laughs> I hate it. It was terrible. This game's stupid. I mean, despite the fact I did not roll dice very well this game, my luck was subpar. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> Check it. <laughs> so this had board 60, which had this huge hill with all this, this city on it. Yeah. I don't even remember this much. Right. It's the uh, town up on the hill. And, um, I don't even know what that's from. Yeah. Not sure what Pax that's from, but anyway, Jeff was attacking with uh, the uh, the Highlanders, uh, which were interestingly just first line infantry and not elites, you know. So I guess the oh. scenario designer Adam Looney does not like okay. Scottish people. <laughs> <laughs> so just make sure we put that in. Um, but no, he uh, Jeff attacked. He he uh, he parked two of his vehicles right in front of one of my AT gun on the first turn, and that kind of. I kind of set uh, the tone. For set the rest the, of the game. It did set the tone. Uh, so that twenty millimeter a a gun killed the two carriers. Was it an AA? Yeah, it was a twenty millimeter a a gun. Uh, and when I mean parked right in front, I mean he parked them like one hex away. Yes. So <laughs> couldn't get any more in front than that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's kind of set the tone. And then he went for a hat trick, uh, tried to move another carrier in front of it. I missed that shot, but it's okay. So um, it's very important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a fine scenario. I mean, nothing particularly special about it. I don't think. But we we enjoyed it. The objective was to take the take buildings on the hill. Some of the buildings, yeah, on the some hill. of the buildings on the hill. So, yeah. Any strategic advice for anyone playing this in the future? Um, rule one: <laughs> take the always Germans. Play the always, Germans. always play the Germans. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I just learned that rule today, folks. <laughs> and it works. It works pretty well for Bob. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to to really say about yeah. it. It's it's a pretty straightforward. You know, run your guys up to the hill. Yeah. And, and, just, and just run. And run, yeah. yeah. You got to move so quick. Down. It's fast. Six it's got to be fast, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a lot of not a lot of room to mess around with it. Uh, the Brits have some smoke, um, which can help. That I didn't utilize enough. I yeah, don't think. probably not. Because with those, the well, the mortars. The mortars, too. Yeah. The mortars needed to be up on that little embankment road or whatever. Yeah. To be able to see that front line of the hill. Yeah. And, down and I, I was running them all over the place. It was silly. Yeah. Oh, so they. Sh- so one thing people might want to get up on that. Yeah. Yeah, because elevated road. That was how it was. Yeah. 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 yeah because anywhere else, these kind of prevent you seeing to do anything here, unless you're on level one. Oh, right. There's uh, some woods and some orchards in front of the level one hill. So, well, that's good tactical advice. Remind people to get up there and get some long-range shots going at the enemy. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I could have done other than the aforementioned <laughs> not parking silliness <laughs> with my carriers. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for uh, sharing. Dave, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming. Seven, eight. Seven, eight. Okay. Hey, everybody. I thought I would just talk briefly about my game with um, Doug Grease across the ISIL, or do you say ISIL, in Germany, 1945. British are moving. Nice half board, uh, a little more than a half board. And. British need to get more victory points of unbroken personnel east of the stream and within three hexes of a building. So the stream runs across, kind of toward the center. 
of the board. Can I button up at that point? Mm-hmm. Okay. Behind me, you hear Mark and Jim Burris playing their game. And, and I'll um, stay in motion. Not lose oh. 19 combat victory points. So um, I came up with kangaroo rams. Everyone's in them. The British, I moved up to this row CC uh, behind this hedge and then stopped. You can do that in your first move and unload for half your movement points and then advance out of there. Um, and I also sent two down the right side, which I don't think I'm going to recommend that to anybody. Um, it's a melee under here. Supported by an A Sherman. Melee, melee. And another oh, Sherman in the center. So we'll shoot. And so I got them down. up there, unloaded around we'll AA row or maybe Six, BB. Seven, and then advancing fired on blindly into some of the woods yeah, to check them out. Okay. And if anything was in there. And he has nothing over on this right flank. So I got up to this creek, stream, deep stream. So all your movement, no, four movement factors and your CX. And um, it's a lot of open ground over there. So it didn't work out much. I broke and got driven back into the river on the right flank in W2 with a leader down in there and so no one could shoot him. Now you don't you don't get to take crest status facing the village, you, the part you want to take. Doug had had a squad in Z6 with the Shrek. His goal was to just take out a tank or two or a kangaroo ram and then get out of there back across the stream. And he had all the rest of them back in like U5, U3, T3, and S. Five buildings, and I had to get within three hexes of the S five building in the back to, with again more points. It does say unbroken. It does not say good order. So we're thinking that the guys in melee counted. So along the right flank, I did get a half squad up next to U three from the stream. He shot it. The other full squad broke it. Ki did eventually, which got my half squad into melee with his squad. Be a and then I, they had generated a hero before they just jumped in. And then I think we tied in there, and then he brought up the hidden squad from T3. All the Germans are hip. And it jumped into U3 to support the melee. So I opened up with the tank. My Sherman from Z1 by this time came up to knock out his um, SPW with the big 75L on it. He moved it back into Q2 at one point to hit all this open ground from the river into U3. And he shot at my tank and needed a 9 or less for the kill. Ended up with a dud. So I ended up killing him on the next shot, that vehicle. Then that tank hit building U3 with the melee. Broke both of his squads in there, or one, and then I half squatted the other one in melee. Uh, eventually, I did hold that building, U3, from the from the river. Maybe it wasn't as ridiculous of an idea as I thought, but the others came into the creek around, uh, so very little resistance in the building, so I got to that creek and came up the leftish flank center. The bridge is blown up by the Germans, so everyone's got to cross the river. And the other tank sat around Y5 eventually and could fire into U5. And initially I brought up both tanks to hit Y7, which I think you can hit from CC7. The hedge is there. It's on both sides there. You can, I think you can see that. And Y6. Then he moved, you know, got rid of that. 
So and they picked up their secondary targets. And I was feeling like I wouldn't get anything, the victory here, but the, the dice were with me for sure. Fours, fives, sevens, Douglas rolling nines, sevens, nines, and broke the center building U5, and they routed back to S5, but ultimately then the last turn, Germans moved last, so keep that in mind, um, but I did take the village. With right over here, the fun stuff. I end up with two squads and two lights in V5, out of line of sight of S5. And he only has the one good squad left in S5. I got his Shrek that he had to end up dropping him in Z6 when I think I. Did they boat him? He rolled box cards on a rally, so I took out a squad. And uh, But it seemed like a tight game. Plus five. And um, you do have to move relatively quickly, but not insanely so, even with five turns, because the board is less than a full board. So that's what Doug and I did, and that's how we played out across the ISIL, ISIL WO11. So, one of those bonus packs. All right, Mark Woods and Jim Burris just finished Riding with the King. Um, Hungary, 1944-German-Russian game. Complicated victory conditions. Jim Burris's Russians needed to amass 35 more victory points than the Germans and have at least 10 building ones of the multi-hex buildings count uh, per hex, basically. And then the Russians can get the exit victory points. So, how'd that go, guys? It was fine. Is this, can they hear us on this? I think so. Talk loud. Okay. Yeah, because I know every time now and then when somebody's recording, if they're not speaking loud enough, then you can kind of just barely hear them in yeah. the background. And I can try and bump your voice, but yeah. it's, I think it's more work. I think I'll just try to project. But yeah, it was a fun game. Um, Mark set up like you'd expect everyone in the village uh, a lot of concealment and I think one thing that he did that didn't work out for him was he set his infantry gun and AT gun up forward in some buildings and not support it with other infantry Uh, when he revealed them I had too much coming in that I just took the guns from him I actually took his AT gun from him and turned and shot at a stoop with it but ineffectively and you think it's balanced? From what I can tell, yeah, I think. I don't know. I've lost it twice playing <laughs> the same side. Yeah, Mark had lost to me with the Russians. I don't quite remember arguing. I'll bet it went similarly. I'm sure I ran tanks off at some point. The German. I, I felt like when you and I played uh, last time, Dave, I was far more effective with my medium machine gun up in the steeple here. Uh, I, I just remember having a lot more success with that. Yeah, but that did not go well for me at all this time. And, and partly because maybe I just didn't open up early enough. That's not my counter. I think that's your counter. And then um, you have a tank battle. Jim was saying that the, the Russian 122s, what are they, JS1s? Yeah. IS2s. Yeah, IS2s. I've, got, I've got four IS2s, and he's coming on, what are those, just regular Tigers? I think 88L Tigers. Yeah, maybe King. They're the... I'd have to look at. Yeah, it's called account. Riding with the King. Yeah, so those are King Tigers, two King Tigers, uh, and we didn't really have much of a battle with them. He brought one up, and 
we had a little bit of a duel, but uh, the game was over before that was resolved. Partly Mark didn't stop when he got within sight of those three Russian tanks. Right. And then they could have, Jim realized he could run them right by uh, the, the Tiger in motion and be able to get off for the rest of the points that he needed. Could use that AT gun to guard a flank over there. Don't you think that's kind of open? Yeah. Where Jim is now? That would be. Uh, the side there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Russian left, German right flank. Yeah, we both broke a broke a main arm in on one of our AFVs. <laughs> and Mark, you commented that typically I don't go in with my vehicles in a village with Germans with Panzerfausts. Well, that's something you've always coached me on, and and uh, and Jim did it very effectively, just rolling right into the village. Um, it, it even coming adjacent to some of my squads, but and why is that, Jim? How do you do it that I don't do it? So you do it so it works. Well, I, I'm not going to do it if there's a squad that's not marked with a first fire counter, and so I, or one that's going to have a Panzerfaust capability. So I move my infantry first into stone buildings adjacent to him, and he fires. Uh, and on one occasion, he a coward, so he's marked with a final fire. Um, but then once he's marked. Then I can drive my tanks up there. My hope is that I can either fire in the advancing fire phase and break him, or that I've got infantry adjacent to him. Now I'm going to advance into close combat and just take him out in close combat. Okay, so strategically, it is correct. You can't just go in a village with Panzerfaust unless, right, because they can't shoot those right if they final fired. Right now, now the one on one occasion he still had uh, support weapon capabilities. So he could have gone for one Panzerfaust on the one guy, uh, but I think he wanted to wait and shoot in the defensive fire phase in the uh, defensive fire phase at the infantry that were adjacent to him. At that point, the infantry were more of a threat. Yeah, and then of course in the buildings you have the back blast problem anyway with the Faust, right. which makes them less effective typically, right? Or more of a threat. More, yeah. yeah. To the, your own self with the back blast. So. Right. Yeah, and. Because he's got to take that chance. Uh, one, he's got to go for a Panzerfaust, and if he doesn't get it, he could roll a six and become and pinned. Be pinned, oh yeah. Yeah, and I'm coming into close combat with infantry, and he's kind of stuck in a... The one, so you're right, you don't want to send tanks into a village unsupported, but if you have a, a slow progression where you're going in with your infantry, supporting your, 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 your infantry, supporting your vehicle, so that they can't be overwhelmed with Panzerfaust Germans. That could work for you, then. And then, Jim, do you want to give us an update on what's going on in St. Louis? Or well, we had uh, we had our I guess this year was a 21st annual tournament. Uh, another good turnout. Randy Schurz uh, came in, went undefeated, five and zero. Rich Domovic took second place. He always has a strong performance at our tournament. Uh, and Mike Reed's son, Travis, uh, younger guy, I guess he's in his mid twenties now. He came in and took third place. Nice. Uh, so it was a, yeah, a good tournament. Uh, no record-setting attendance this year is, you know, what we normally have. I think we had ended up with 29 total, oh, 20, okay. 29. So it's just a good full room, and a lot of uh, guys that come in are regulars. You know, Larry Zoot, Mark DeVries, Jeff DeYoung wasn't able to make it this year. We had a few new guys from California come in. Oh, it's a long way. Uh, yeah, and uh, Coleman Quill comes down from North Dakota to, for the tournament. 
So it was a good time. It, it really is the – I have probably more fun that weekend than I do it doing anything else the rest of the year. Except coming here to my house this well, weekend. Yeah. That goes without <laughs> saying. And then plans on uh, the next uh, magazine game coming out? From- well, I'm not going to promise anything because I've got a real job and a life and a family and all that. We and all I, know how that goes. Yeah, but I've got stuff on the shelf that I've been working on. Um, one thing that we do want to try to do, and other people have done it, uh, uh, the Northeast guys put out a pack. Um, but we're the St. Louis guys. We just want to put out a scenario pack and... Uh, we've got some people that are pretty think they're you know they're good with history. Um, Brett Avance, he's really good with military history. Uh, Rich Burton, he does a lot of military history, and then we got Doug and Wes, you know, good ASL players that can probably put together a good ASL scenario, and a few others that have kind of tacitly committed to doing some scenario design. So maybe maybe by next year. Uh, maybe by 2020 we'll have a scenario pack, you know, 8, 10, 12 scenarios. Was there going to be a second part to the oh, Pacific? Yeah, yeah that's that's Vegas also in the works. So uh, nothing has come of that much lately. Uh, still all kind of sitting on the shelf with a lot of notes. Yeah. It's, co- it's collected some dust in the, over the day, over the last couple of years. But... Uh, yeah, you, you know, if I win the lottery, uh, you'll have, have a lot more time, more time to produce. <laughs> right. So, all right. Well, it sounds like exciting things happening there. And I'm, as you know, we'll say once again, maybe I'll get down there next year. Well, we, we keep waiting for My you. time opens up suddenly next summer. So, all right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Dave, when you need to scratch your asl itch uh-huh. where do you where do you go i have to go somewhere where there's fast service yes somewhere where the store clerks are very nice nice clerks yep somewhere where i'm gonna get good asl bang for my buck yep and selection and free shipping x so here's where i go where do you go I'll, Jeff? I'll let you in on a little secret don't tell anybody Ritter Creek. What is that again? Ritter Creek. Ritter Creek. Rittercreek.com. They've got selection. They've got fast shipping. They've got, what was the other thing you asked for? Friendly clerks. Friendly clerks. I'm talking friendly. <laughs> They're great at Ritter Creek. they got all kinds of stuff. It's a great website to go and peruse around and ASL stuff galore. And free shipping now. Free shipping. Who which could is, possibly yeah. beat that? Now, we want you to go to your local neighborhood gaming store and support them any way you can. If you got one anymore. But if there's ASL to be had, go to Ritter Creek. RitterCreek.com. Yeah. And now we have this uh, wonderful review copy of the um, sheet of half-inch counters from Broken Ground Designs. And these are all red with white figures and and numbers on them and they are designed to be used as your berserk counters so you get this half inch counter sheet full sheet broken ground design and each nationality is on here 
try to attach a photo of this on the show, uh, or I'll tweet it out. And uh, you have a section of Soviets. So you get four, two counters that are four firepower, range of two, morale of ten. And then two counters of the four, four, sevens, which would be firepower four, range of four, morale of ten. Four, five, tens, instead of the four, five, sevens. Five, two, tens, instead of the five, two, sevens. I'm sorry, it would be four, five, eights. And the six, two, tens, instead of the six, two, eights. So, with underlined firepower range, the leadership for like just the Soviets here. There's the there's two ten O's, two ten neg ones, a ten neg two, two ten neg twos, and a ten neg three. So I'm gonna assume he figured this out that all their morale would be ten. And you either have an O, an egg one, an egg two, or an egg three liter. So, uh, it's got the finish, same thing. So each nationality here gets 20 counters. The finish around here, you've got Chinese counters on here. And you can kind of tell from the artwork which nationality each one is. It's all black and white artwork on these with the red background. The Japanese are on here, Romanian, Hungarian, and minor, Axis minor. It looks like those may each have one row. No, they work together, right. Minor, allied minors. And on the other side of this uh, large counter sheet, you get your Italian squads, the three three tens now. Instead of the three three, what were they? Sixes? Three four ten instead of three four sevens. Uh, leadership ranging from a ten plus one to the ten O's, neg one, neg two again. Same ideas. Germans are on here. Then the partisans looking very partisan y in their dress and weaponry. Polish, British. French, Free French, and the Americans on this one lovely counter sheet. So no longer do you need to dig out the uh, reserve counter. Well, I mean, you still have to switch out a counter, but this way you can switch the counter instead of add a counter so your stacks are not as unwieldy. Uh, it won't, uh, if you ever save a game to play later, you're moving it around, it gets knocked over. Oh, which one had the Berserk on it? Well, and you replace it with one of these red counters. You don't have to worry about that anymore, right? So I'm loving these. I'm going to be breaking these up and putting these into my sets. I wonder how. I don't have an extra space in all my counter trays. Could fit it in some easily enough. Could stick them all in a little baggie and put them in with any other set of counters. Could, 
maybe mix them in with the actual type and just swish around a little bit in there. It should be pretty easy to see the red ones pop up. So maybe I'll try that first with the Soviets, Americans, Finnish, and French, and then play with those for a while before I add the other one. Well, I guess I should put the Germans in, right? They'll be the one I'll use the most and, uh, and see how those work by mixing them into the counter tray. So many leaders for some of my nationalities, though. I think I'll keep the red leaders in a separate little... I got these little mini baggies. And uh, put them in on top of the counter tray. So, excellent work from Broken Ground Design. Love this particular concept and execution. Fantastic. Another thing I often like to do is just read the footnotes. So, uh, to, to the chapters... I don't believe I've read the the uh, historical module footnotes much, if any. Going to have to double make a list, uh, finish making a list someday. I'm halfway done with all the shows, and then be able to d- double check against that. But uh, let's do Tarawa footnotes. Footnote one: bunkers, various command bunkers, pillbox. Well, because you know I like to do this because you can be driving in your car and listening to these notes. It's, it's a nice historical thing too. You know, beyond just the game itself and the rules. Um, so, bunkers. Uh, the various command bunkers, pillboxes, bomb proofs, mostly were made of palm trunks with sand covering or concrete on Tarawa. Two attempts were made to provide more concrete to Basio, but both transports were sunk. Nevertheless, the bunkers were very well made. Some bunkers had spider trenches leading to firing ports and other covered positions. The films and features familiar to many of the sand hill and huge concrete structure show just the largest of the several command bunkers locations on the island. I think they mean in the historical films and photographs. Admiral Shibasaki, commander of the Japanese forces on Beishio, or is that how you pronounce that, uh, died as he was moving his headquarters from the most famous of these bunkers in order to provide the Japanese wounded with a protected haven. These rules give the Japanese player the opportunity to match the genius of Rear Admiral Sachiro Tomonari in devising the defense of Beitio. Beitio? That's what I, I don't know. The bomb proofs. These fortifications, footnote 2, were built all over the island for ammunition and supply storage, but proved very useful for infantry defense. Footnote 3. Towers. The Japanese built several observation towers to spot for long-range anti-shipping guns on Beitio. Rule 4. These are the big guns. The 8-inch guns, so-called Singapore guns. For many years, some historians erroneously thought these guns had been captured by the Japanese from the British during the siege of Singapore. In fact, the guns were Vickers 8-inch guns purchased from the British during the Russo-Japanese War of 1905. During the battle for Beitio, the, the guns never scored a hit on a U.S. Navy vessel. Now, these two on the southwest end of the island were both destroyed by a direct hit on the ammunition storage shelter by a naval gun. Two more were mounted on the east end of the island. Footnote 5. The airfield. The main runway on Beitio was built of four inches of concrete, while the taxiways were constructed of crushed coral. That's what I use in my driveway here in Palatine. Six, Red Beach Three. 
Only a portion of Red Beach 3 is in play. Adding the remainder would have meant more map sheets without changing play much. Rule 7. Battalion landing teams. The invasion of a hostile shore is one of the most complicated operations undertaken by a military force. In marine operations, a major part of the invasion plan is the assignment of a particular infantry regiment to a specific invasion beach. Now, the assigned regiment is reinforced with other units, and the resulting combined arms force is called a regimental combat team. Actually, I kind of didn't know that or forgot that. During the landing phase of the operation, the RCT is called the regimental landing team. Now, the regiment commander assigns each of the regiment's organic battalions to a subdivision of the regiment's assigned landing beach. Each such battalion is then reinforced and becomes a battalion landing team. Footnote 8, Assault Waves. The forces included are correct historically for the initial BLTs in each campaign game. But the reinforcement designations are not entirely historical. Two battalions, the one... Two and the three eight. Now, how do you pronounce that? Have been left out of the BRTOB. Two additional battalions of infantry made the Marines too strong in the campaign game, and the one two. Is that first? I don't know. Which landed on the heels of two two had effectively been eliminated while wading into the beach. The intent is to give the marine player a feel for planning an assault against a heavily defended hostile shore. In an amphibious assault, the decisions made in the planning stages will often win or lose the battle. For example, where will the BLT headquarters come in? In this action, Colonel Crow, commanding two eight, came with the initial assault waves, whereas Major Shuttle came with the third wave. Colonel Crow had control of his forces from the time he hit the shore, but Major Shuttle did not gain control until the night of D plus one. And of course, in the middle, Colonel Amy was killed on the way in. Rule nine. Footnote nine: Naval gunfire. It was universally been declared a disaster. The low-lying island caused a majority of large caliber shells to skip across the island, causing minimal damage. On the positive side, however, was the bravery and crews of the USS Ringgold and the USS Dashiell on D-Day. These ships went into the lagoon and provided direct fire on Japanese fortifications. After some semblance of command and control was obtained, the 5-inch guns of these two ships wrecked havoc on the defenders. Footnote 10, cloaking. Without this rule, the Japanese player could spend the entire first turn eliminating all the leaders and the support weapons. 11, air support. Primary problem with the air support received was timing. The naval task force and the landing force mixed up beginning morning nautical twilight and civil twilight. And I don't know what those mean, but I'm sure they're a little bit different, even though they're both talking about twilight. Consequently, the air support arrived on time, according to the clocks of the air crews, but over an hour late for the needs of the amphibious forces. This discrepancy caused the cessation of naval gunfire for a critical 30 minutes, enabling the Japanese to readjust their forces. Also important was the doctrine of little sky, big bullet, largely discredited after Tarawa, which dictated that naval gunfire not fire while aircraft were operating in order to avoid hitting the friendly air support. Footnote 12, 
reserve pool. Although there were no reserves for the Japanese units, the reserve pool represents the 7th SNLF units, which were defending the South Shore and were migrated north after the American intentions were realized. The reserve pool helps connect the two rather distinct game segments in the campaign game. The Marine attempt to get ashore, followed by the Japanese struggle to hold out in the face of superior Marine firepower. 13. Night Banzai Attack The Japanese defense plan included contingencies for a counterattack that was not executed due to the loss of Admiral Shibasaki on D-Day. This rule gives the Japanese player a potentially decisive, albeit risky, counterattack option. 14. The M1A1. The 75 artillery pieces were carried over the reef, like all the other gear. 15. M3A1. Most 37mm AT guns came ashore along the pier, although some were rolled along the reef. The general depth of the water made it no more difficult to manhandle them than a muddy field, but deeper pockets posed a threat to their continued existence. 16. Over-the-wall task check. The Marines were pinned down behind the seawall for most of the first day. The greater the cover, the less likely it was for large groups to go over. Only in small groups did the Marines start to destroy the fortifications, blocking the advance. The loss of leaders and the intimidating defenses created the need for courage of even greater measure. And that's in quotes. 17. Strategic locations. The intent is to provide a system for setting up the rest, the next campaign game date. Concept of front lines is really not applicable. For example, units of 2-8 reached the far side of the airfield and were completely cut off with no real ill effect. 18. Medium machine gun usage. Commander Sugai, Imperial Japanese Navy, commander of the Rukusentai on Beisho, and Com- Admiral Shibasaki both believed in cross-training troops to fire all available weapons, and they integrated the island's medium machine guns in with the squad defensive positions. So allowing the Japanese first line and elite to use the MMG without penalty helps to simulate this, as well as cutting down on the number of crew counters needed. 19. LVT task check. Operation orders for the assault called for the LVTs to provide direct fire support for the Marines ashore. Many LVTs did stay at the beach or venture inland, with one making it to the center of the airfield. It soon became apparent, however, that follow-on boats could not negotiate the reef. Many intrepid LVT drivers then went back into the lagoon to try and aid the waiting Marines and to help with the shuttling of supplies. After Tarawa, Marine doctrine was changed. Close support LVTs were developed to work with Marines ashore. And the last footnote, 20. DM support weapon. Dismantled American support weapons were waterproofed with parts individually packed. Other Marines often could not recover all the parts after the original crews were incapacitated. And there you go. That'll fire you up to want to play. There went my rules. Um, Tarawa. Uh, and explains why things are as they are in that game. Well, Megan... What'd you think? Wow, Dad. I think I'd like to play some Tarwa. Well, I'd be happy to do that with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the parts of the show. And uh, should we sign off and say goodbye then? Sure thing. Got anything else you want to say, Rad? 
Not exactly. <laughs> then remember, everybody, to roll low. And rally well. But not, not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.